I think art ends there where you start to torture animals for your livelihood. Well, I I don't know. Okay, welcome to Flick Lab, dear listeners. And in today's episode, we are gonna sink our teeth into cannibalism. Of all the goddamn topics. Thank you, Henrik. Yeah, so this is a bi-weekly podcast, and my name is Kari. I studied media, and I was born and raised, born and bred in Finland, and now I'm living in Spain. Yeah, I'm Henrik. Uh, uh, also studying studying media currently at the University of Lapland, and living in Anakoski. I think you mean Vantankoski or Pallibaha? Uh, I mean something Koski. Something Koski. It, it's it's all just a bunch of Koskis in Finland. Any Koski will do. Or Vara. Yeah, I'm... I'm me- Goddamn. 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 And I'm Zach. I'm an American living in Boston. Yeah. I also studied media. Well, wow. And was that born and bred gag? Was that a was that an American joke? <laughs> it was. <laughs> is that is is that a, just an American thing that we like to say? Born and bred. I I think I've just kind of seen it in American movies, and I thought that's kind of funny. I think it's used for comedy. I mean, it is purposes. sort of funny that we say, "I was bred," as in like my parents had sex and made me right. here. Like that's a funny thing to tell people. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Things are going to get infinitely funny tonight, as we're going to talk about cannibalism. Because funny is definitely the first word I think of when I think of cannibalism. Oh, come on. Come on, Zach. It's a hearty subject matter. Come on, Zach. You know, uh, you sent me a message on Signal saying that you're eating some anticot steak while you're watching these films. Like, you are a sick man. <laughs> uh, I, 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 to, to be fair... That is a true statement. I was, but that lasted for about 15 seconds, and it was during a non-cannibal portion of the film. And then when that started, I had to go put the the, the, the plate away. I couldn't eat at the same time. Okay. I thought, like, oh, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be able to do this. No, no, no. I could not. And, in fact, I have eaten vegan ever since then. It's been 24 or 48 <laughs> hours, but I had vegan <laughs> dinner last night, and I had vegan oh. lunch today. <laughs> don't, don't, don't worry, Zach, you get used to it as, as you do more episodes here in the lab. But talking of eating, um, well, Henrik, what's your experience with dumplings? Have you ever eaten one? I've had some, in in fact, quite recently. Oh my, was it like a Japanese, Korean? Yeah, I managed to find a Japanese restaurant in Helsinki that actually made like like proper proper dumplings. Do, do students go to Japanese restaurants in Helsinki? Every now and then, because, you know, us in the art field, we are nothing if not bunch of dirty hipsters. Yeah, but, you, you know, there's a contradiction there. You're, you know, you are leftist, leftist hippies who cannot go to Japanese restaurants, especially with the student budget. I'm just asking, how long did you have to save money for that? Okay, too much information. I just remember, you know, you don't really simply go to restaurants. On that student budget. Yeah, well, you know that there's always, always ways to make money. It hurts at first, and then you know learn how to relax. Yeah, and Henrik sure does things, busy all the time. 
<laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing this podcast. This is, this is not 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 necessarily the, the most man horiest thing that I have done. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be some man whoring in the following films. We're going to look at Cannibal Holocaust, Delicatessen, Raw, and Dumplings tonight for your listening. Yeah, so we are going to go like Italy, France, France, and China. Pretty much. China, Hong Kong. China, Hong Kong. Hong Kong, China. Uh, so, <laughs> like Trump used to say, China. 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 Which always made me think of like a little kid saying the word vagina. Absolutely. Like a vagina. That's what yeah. it reminds me of. But yeah, so where, would, where do we want to start this from? Well, Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, let's go in chronological order. Yeah, at least first, until Henry yeah. kind of mixes it up. So, for the cannibal genre, cannibal holocaust was kind of a big event. We can thank Italians for this gem. They popularized the horrors of genre with Mondo Cinema, the documentary-esque exploitation flicks of this sort. Uh, cannibal films are predominantly from 70s and 80s, from this cannibal boom era. There's something in common for these early films that they are usually... A fake exploitation documentaries that take place in a rainforest where white assholes become in touch with native people who are depicted as murderous cannibals, while uh, tortoises or other sweet animals lose their real lives. And uh, yeah, this whole genre was seen as being started around 1972 with Man from Deep River, and the boom kind of died off with uh, Natura Contro from 1988. Which did have beautiful the... Italian. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, because of me, it's beautiful. And and this was also marketed as Cannibal Holocaust 2 in some markets, but it wasn't what the director intended. It was just used for making the box. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, worthy to remember or at least take note that even though, as you stated, the the boom itself has has died. And there really is not that many cannibal films being made anymore. The genre still isn't completely extinct, as we still do get an occasional cannibal film every now and then. I, I'm not entirely certain if if Eli Roth's Green Inferno currently is is the latest one of of these exploitation esque cannibal movies. So it. So it anyway looks like, and this was a bit of a hat tip for wonderful classics such as the Cannibal Holocaust and the like. Um, especially for Cannibal Holocaust, which is first original intended title was Green Inferno, as the Amazonian jungle is constantly being re- referenced in the film. Absolutely, Henrik. And have you seen Green Inferno? Any thoughts? Uh, I have seen it. I it it was kind of like okay esque. I wasn't really that that fascinated by the film. It did like ma- many critics in in horror genre, like now talking about YouTubers and bloggers, did embrace Green, Green Inferno when it came out 
and I kind of always, this is a kind of a running problem with me and Roth's pictures. I never actually quite see like what all the fuss and all the praise is about. At the end of the film, I did feel that it wasn't Roth's worst film that still perhaps goes to cabin fever. But it also, I, I didn't feel it was this like, like unsung masterpiece. And this is what you get when you record in an amateur location. Neighbors playing music loudly. Nowadays it's not seen such of a bad thing when people are being decapitated on screen and lots of cruelty shown. But Cannibal Holocaust was banned in Italy initially, but it did apparently quote, astonishing business abroad, said the director, Ruggero Deodato, or however you pronounce that. It is seen as kind of the, the, the king of the hill when it comes to this genre. Yeah, Cannibal Holocaust is kind of in, in a cult film status these days, among with the status of being perhaps the film that, that first did the found footage horror genre thing. I remember when when it, it was like five years after Blair Witch Project had come out, and there was this huge battle over, like, who ripped off who... There was a found footage film called The Last Broadcast, whose film makers felt that Blair Witch Project was ripping off from them. And then the, the Cannibal Holocaust director also joined joined the discussion and pointed out that he actually made, made the whole found footage thing way before the last broadcast. Kind of mudding once again the waters, exactly who is in charge of the title of inventing found footage horror. One of the crew members, uh, Kerman, did not believe that the director Deodato had a soul. Well, he may have a point, but even Deodato himself has later regretted, said that it was a stupid idea of me to have this animal cruelty on film. Not the actual quote, but more or less these thoughts. At least we have that. There's a lot of quite interesting stories around this film. For example, the, the, the claim that after finishing the, the acting in the film, the cast, main cast at least, was told to disappear basically from the public eye for the next year. So, so they would not appear in any films for, I don't know, if it was then finally a year, because the police got involved and People questioned, why is no one seeing these people in any new productions? So they must have been killed by the director. But no, they were fine. And they went on a TV show and explained how all these triggeries work in the film. And I think to, I think to this day, at least when I've listened to some interviews from the, from the actors, they are not, they're not willing to confirm whether there was such an order in place or not. I mean, I would have to say there probably was. Why else would you go incommunicado for a year? A film, this, this big film comes out, you're definitely going to want to be out there. I mean, ruminating in your newfound popularity, right? Unless you were specifically told, don't come out in public. Because we want to sort of keep this this facade going. Yep. Yeah, and it bears to remember that. Blair Witch Project actually did pull off the exact same stunt. Exactly. It's marketing. Right. And the director, Deodato, he was at least 
by one crew member described as a control freak and kind of disliked by many of the crew members because of that kind of a shouting and being angry at people and and people kind of seeing that he would be saying something inappropriate to their faces. Sounds like a great guy. Let's get him on the podcast. I mean, we should. Well, I'm mean, I'm all for it. I, I would like I would I would love, love that. And the crew was not told that in in advance that there would be this animal cruelty displayed. So great going. Some of the actors didn't really know what they were going to be involved in. Some just jump on the project and next day know that they're in a in a jungle filming, had not read the script, and then the kind of going day by day. Day by day. Kinda of like in Blair Witch Project, once again. Right. But uh, Henrik, yeah. Did you did you get excited about watching animal torture? Um semi. Semi, yeah. Um, right next to the Belgian porn collection. Yeah, like you know, you you have to check off to something. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm. Oh, I of course in in the board. I'm the the lousy heretic who has who had actually not seen Cannibal Holocaust before. I good had for you. Heard that the hmm? good for you that you had not seen it. I really don't share that sentiment. Do we have to um, fight again, Henrik? I I guess I guess we have to. I need my bell. Ding ding uh, ding in the left corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you can be the referee here. Weighing um, three hundred and twenty thousand pounds. Like cannibal holocaust for the longest time. I I had heard the rumors and I did know about you know the animal cruelty that happens in the film and. I had heard all the hype. It's it's kind of a thing in, in horror movie circles when you are a teenager. Every fucking time, I guess, somebody brings up Cannibal Holocaust and speaks how, how infamous it is and how it is the most grueling and most shocking film. Usually the person making these statements also later admits that he or she has not seen the film either. Yeah. But that that's kind of the, kind of the 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 curve you get when when you first hear hear about Cannibal Holocaust, I, or at least that's my experience. That's how it went for me, and I just never got around checking it. And it's not necessarily even even the subject matter. I have seen other Italian exploitation cannibal films beforehand, so I also did know the genre before going into Cannibal Holocaust. But somehow Cannibal Holocaust always was the film that I, I just didn't, I didn't search for it. And I just always, whenever I got, got the feeling that I'm going to check out some Italian exploitation cannibal movies, I always found something else much more easier, like Man from Deep River or Cannibal, Fe- uh, Cannibal Ferox or some of these other titles. This was even even a four disc DVD pack released in in Finland, which consisted like like the, the big names of Italian cannibal exploitation movies, and for some goddamn reason, Holocaust was not amongst them. It got released in Finland was it like six years ago, finally as a DVD. And I guess some people are wondering what's really the big deal about cannibal Holocaust? Not, well, not so much the fake cannibalism, the fake snuff. But the the actual killings of live animals. So we in this film they kill a Cody, 
an aroe turtle, uh, a tarantula, a bow constrictor, a squirrel monkey, twice, one of which is not on screen, and a pig shot in the head with a 22 caliber rifle. Yep. Yeah, and the rest uh, kind of killed in a gruesome ways, decapitated, turtle, tarantula killed with a machete, boa cut into pieces with a machete, a squirrel monkey's brain cut to pieces with a machete. Yeah, the, um, the killings from which the turtle is is the most horrifying and basically the most agonizing. The rest of them are actually quite quick. Quick and you miss it. <clears throat> so Pretty to- much, yeah. Like, seeing how infamous the film is from its depiction of animal cruelty, the moments really are like, like as you, as you mentioned, you know, blink and you miss it. But do you know now why I was so adamant not to watch this bullshit on the podcast? I have to say no. Like I, I understand. I understand that that you felt uncomfortable with the animal violence in the film, but and and like I, I, I can, I, I rationalize that, but I, I didn't share the feeling. It might be that I may have become too jaded. Mm-hmm. With with violence, even even with real life violence these days, that it just doesn't really shock me in that sense. I was actually seeing how, like I mentioned, knowing how exactly disliked the movie is for, for the animal violence. I was positively surprised to see exactly how quick the kills were. Well, I well I know that you are a heartless brute, Henrik. But maybe it's not so much about the feelings that it evokes in the film regarding the animal violence, but more about the fact that there is animal animal violence. And no, what is the situation of this podcast? Are we in support of, of animal violence? How do we justify that this film is on the podcast? Is it on the virtue of the, the, the film's wonderful merits of having animal violence? Is it because we want to denounce any of this kind of be- behavior? What do we want to do with this? You know? Well, do you want to denounce... Yes, Do please. you want to denounce? Yes, please. Okay, go ahead. I'll second. Do you take back your... Yeah, okay. In that case, do we want to re-edit like Apocalypse Now and, and Morberg's Unknown Soldier? And do we add Michael Haneke into the list of directors who we will never speak about? Like, we endorsed movies that have animal cruelty before, once knowingly, and that's Apocalypse. We we did know what happened in the set. The second time it was accidental. Yeah. We didn't know that the horse in in Morberg's unknown actually really got killed by Morberg se- mm. se- setting off a live grenade next to the horse and the actor. But we did suspect, like seeing the footage, we did suspect that that might have happened because it looked so real and so one takeish. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a tricky one, but then again, these that you mentioned, these two movies, are not the films that that wanted to sell the movie kind of with with the violence, not really, not animal no, violence. No, but I would actually, I would say that Cannibal Holocaust actually might have the biggest point with its animal violence. In in Apocalypse Now, the animal violence really was was quite unnecessary. The the killing of of the ox said nothing, at least in my opinion. Hmm. It could have been easily faked. 
It didn't have to be a real animal. It was just something that, that Coppola did because, you know, it was such an extreme shoot, much in the same way as, as you know, uh, filming drunk off his ass Martin Sheen while, while Sheen didn't realize what was happening around him and just letting the camera roll. It, it led into a magnificent scenes, yeah, but I, I would say that the ox was not like a mandatory sacrifice in, in your altar of art. And when it comes to Malberg, most definitely an unnecessary horse. Fucking Edwin Line made to, you know, fake out a death of a horse. You didn't have to kill the poor animal. Magnificent film. Both of them. I, I endorse both of them. I did endorse and I still endorse both movies. But I, I would say the violence seen there said nothing. It meant nothing except realism. And when it comes to animal, cannibal holocaust, once again, we, we, can, we can discuss and disagree on, on was killing of the anim live animals, was it really necessary or could it have been faked? But the, the director has, had given interviews concerning the film. And in those interviews, he has raised up the point that his motive behind making Cannibal Holocaust was that he felt distaste towards what he felt was the growing trend of sensationalism in, in news media. Like news crews trying to be edgy and pushing the envelope as further as, as humanly possible on what you can show under the, under the, you know, the guise of news coverage. This way, and this way, kind of the Italian news media and American also, which was also something that the director hated, was an environment that kind of just wallowed in, in misery and encouraged others to follow suit. And it, it was like the, the director really hated the way how, how news were shaping up, where you just go around and you push the camera in, into somebody's face. And he felt that it, it was kind of a creating a misery porn. And Cannibal Holocaust was meant to be a condemnation of that. That's why he kind of introduced the whole fake documentary angle. And why the, why the documentary crew and how the crew operated was so predominant for, for the film. And in that sense, I can see, once again, I'm not making the case that the animal cruelty in Cannibal Holocaust was absolutely fucking necessary or that, that it, you should enjoy it or you shouldn't be against it. I'm not saying that. But with this take from director's side, you can view the animal cruelty as something that was used uh, it, as, an, as an extremity that was being used in order to show, show others, to show audiences, to show news media exactly how horrifying that misery porn was. And the I'll, news crews are I'm okay. I'm going to have to... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm, I, I can see where he's coming from. I can see him looking at a world where... News media is on this hype for exploitation and sensationalism and wanting to condemn that. And that uh, I'm all for and I applaud. But what he did, instead of condemning it, was to join them. 
and mm-hmm. he made something that is exploitative and is sensational. Sen- sensationalistic. It's not sensational. It's sensationalistic. Um, the, th- no, the animal cruelty is not necessary at all, and I think we all agree on that. But the idea of, I, I want to show you how know. bad you've... Okay, well, we can, we can get into that. I, I would say that it's not yeah. necessary, because if your goal is to say, listen, news media, I'm going to hold up a mirror so that you can see your sins for how they are, you don't then go and say, I'm going to commit the same sin. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stoop to your level and sink to that level. Uh, it, it would be like someone who, who has murdered an, uh, uh, someone and they don't feel a lot of remorse for it. And so what you do is say, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to murder someone that you care about yeah. to try to get you to feel the same way that I feel. No, no, no. Now I'm sinking to the same level. My sin is just as bad as the sin you've committed. Um, so now could you then say, well, I'm going to take that murderer and I'm going to maybe make him think – that I've killed someone that he cares about when I really haven't, but it's just to try to get to evoke some emotion and some empathy or sympathy. That is a whole other conversation of whether that's ethical or not, but at least you're only faking it so that you can make him create some sort of, uh, some sort of human emotion out of him. If this is a person who maybe is, uh, has psychopathy or something, but you don't go and actually kill someone, which is exactly what in theory, in, in essence, this person has done. This director has done is he's gone and killed animals, multiple animals. I mean, at least half a dozen and put it all on film and made it seem like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing this as like a found footage sort of film, but in no, 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 because you could have still faked those things. You could have faked it and made it look like it was exploitative when you really weren't actually doing it. Before you go, Henrik, I have to say, the kind of, I have it's my time to call bullshit in this podcast. And it, it, this this is something that the director, this is my view, is using just as a as a weak argumentation to justify what he has done in the film. Okay, it was an inspiration, but yeah, like you said, Zach, then he's stooping to the news media's levels and 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 what? Yeah, okay, it's it's showing kind of the hypocrisy maybe of the reporting of the day that okay you do this and well i do this what's the difference okay but then the director goes and does the same shit several times what's the excuse in that well actually i don't know if there's animal cruelty in in his other films of this short sort but he did go and do the similar cannibal films yeah i on my end i kind of can see merit in actually really holding the mirror against, you know, the the face of of of, of your condemnation. Like you, you, Zach, you you mentioned you you don't if somebody murders someone close to you, you don't go and murder someone close to the murderer. Fair fair enough. But at the same time, you know, this type of like avenging and you know the vigilante justice. That the vengeance itself, it is something that is kind of constantly celebrated, if not openly, then quietly in our society. Yeah, well... We have, like... We, we may say that, of course not. Of course not. I, I draw the line here, but I, I don't know. Whenever it ca- comes into the guise of, well, not real these guys, we are kind of extremely easily tempted to actually at least push the envelope as far as humanly possible. Yeah, the way that these kind of films are marketed, the way how somebody is able to do these kind of films, in my opinion, would not be the topics of 
third world oppression or or racism or anti-imperialism or what have you. They may be there, but I would say that they are more like glued in. Look at my little artsy product where I have great existential questions. Who are the real cannibals? Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, dude, dude. You, you made this film exactly for that animal cruelty and the cannibalism. And that's what's selling and driving your film. I don't yeah. see that he made the film for animal cruelty. Oh, he made the film he for may cruelty. Not have made it, he may not have made it for animal cruelty, but he definitely knew what he was doing when he put it in there. Right. He did. Most definitely he did know what he was doing. But I'm like going with, with the director's word. And this is something that we have done countless times in, in, in the podcast. We, we take the director's word. And in that case, I can see a point. Once again, not saying that it necessarily is okay, as it being okay is extremely heavy subject matter. Like we can spend the, the rest of the evening going again, you know, having a discussion of what is okay and when... But I, I can ask, at least I, I can I can see an attempt at a point here, and I'm willing to say that that point isn't necessarily completely meritless. Like I, like I said, I I do see more point in in the animal cruelty. Once again, going completely with with off from from what the director has stated in Cannibal Holocaust and. I see in in the unknown soldier, or I see in Apocalypse Now. But see, it's interesting because you could say I see the, the I, I can't remember the word you used the benefit of I think it was benefit of 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 the animal cruelty, and I I can side with part of that if it was if we said look at this um, animal cruelty that was done in this film and look at what it means and what it's portraying and how it's integral to the part of the story. If it was fate, it would still have the same impact. I mean, let's say that we found out today that, like, oh, by the way, that turtle was actually fake. It was just the really good production design. Oh, sweet, because it still gives me the same emotional impact of having to watch it if, if it's fake. We watch fake things happen all the time. We watch people get shot, maimed, murdered, raped all the time in films. And we still have a visceral response to it, even though we know, oh, this is just a movie. And like there's, pe- there's like 50 men sitting behind the camera on set. There's no need to actually do any of these things for film. Uh, this guy just... I. I I think he wanted an exploitative film, and he got it. Yeah, uh, I don't know if we do. Like, I actually believe that that when it comes to seeing horrible events depicted, we actually do recognize, and we do subconsciously are able to differentiate between what is real and what is not. They, you can you can fake it, and you can use props, you can use CGI argument. That, that is something that has been going on around the question of animal cruelty in in movies for quite some time, like like for years, for decades now. And like yeah, yeah, certainly, Zach, you might be correct. Perhaps it is possible to create an effect so realistic that it 
completely kind of a, you, you, you no longer actually recognize it as an effect. That, that may be possible, but I just quite don't believe it, at least not yet. I myself, well, I, I even... do totally believe that we are still very much capable of, of differentiating between real and not real. Sure, but even the not real can still shake us. I mean, Henrik, what's the last movie you cried at? The last movie that you saw that made you cry? Oh, don't remember the last movie. Um, the Haunting of the movie. Hill House. That, okay, the, it's TV series. but the, the TV series, sure, okay. But you know that all those people are actors and that house is not real. It's a set that they built in Hollywood or Atlanta, Georgia or wherever the hell they filmed it. But you know, all that is fake and none of that happened was real. She didn't really spoiler. She doesn't really hang herself, but yet you still feel this emotional gut punch, which that series is fantastic. By the way, you Um, feel some of the gut punch. You, for example, don't feel that the violence is real. Sure. But the uh, the only other option we have is to say, well, then all film must be cinema verite, and we have to do everything for real. And uh, you know, there's there's a there's a point of diminishing return. Well, we're now causing more harm than good. With yes, we want to portray violence for uh, a particular reason to tell a story, but we don't want to cause violence. And you know what's the biggest conundrum, perhaps, of the evening regarding this film and how we're talking about it. Well, it's the thing that we are all hypocrites in this podcast, because we all contribute to animal cruelty. In fact, most of us every True. day. And we don't want to, yeah. but we do that. And we all know what's happening with kind of the animal treatment when it's being prepared for food, just throwing it out there. So this is a yeah. bit of a brain uh, conundrum. I, I yeah, and I like stated, this, this podcast itself also kind of carries the, the label of hypocrisy, unfortunately. I, I, I agree. And in fact, could I, if I can ex- expand for a, for a moment, because I, I mentioned I have eaten vegan for the last two meals. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I generally am a meat eater, at least one meal a day. I try to not eat meat for breakfast and lunch and try to only eat meat for dinner. But if you are a meat eater, you are consuming flesh and blood of of another thing. It's sometimes that thing that you're eating is genetically very similar to humans. Pigs, for example. I mean, there are people walking around on this earth that have a heart valve in their body that once was the heart valve of a pig. Our heart valves are structurally very similar, so we've used that before. If you ask an actual cannibal who the FBI interviews all the time sitting in prison, what does human flesh taste like? They will tell you it tastes like pork. Mm-hmm. So is eating pork, how, how many steps is away is that from eating pork to cannibalism? Mm-hmm. How many steps away is it? It's, it's a few, but it's, I, I think it's fewer than we would like to think that it is. And is that the thing that maybe is so scary about cannibalism? Is that we are so close to it? Is it like the the person who likes to go to the top of a of a skyscraper and look off the edge and if they're not suicidal, they don't want to jump off, but there's something in the back of their mind that goes, I wonder what it would be like to jump. Just for a just for a, a brief moment. I mean it's eating meat is a, a very it is a, it is a a powerful thing if you really think about it uh if if you th- imagine cannibals in your mind think of cannibal holocaust or any any movie where someone is uh, purposefully 
knowingly eating another person, it is usually done in this feverish manner. This, you're scarfing it down like you can't get enough of it. And there's usually juices all over your mouth and cheeks and you're gnawing on bones and that kind of thing. But is that not exactly what you do when you eat a chicken leg or a chicken wing? And you're using your forearm to wipe away the, the juices or you're eating a, 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 a some barbecue ribs. We're, we're just, yeah, we're not that far away. And no. maybe that is what's so scary. No, and not to mention all the other problems. If we expand on the problems of of eating meat is, is, is the use of land. Well, or using the food that we have for, for animal food purposes, just feeding them and making them more fat. The uh, greenhouse gas problem is huge. And the level of mm. contribution to greenhouse gases from, from animal agriculture is astounding. Uh, I've, I've seen figures that go to, you know, is it like 30, 40%? Some may throw even bigger numbers of the entire greenhouse uh, gas production. Yeah, so it's, it's bad on, yeah. on multiple levels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, I guess at least two on this podcast still are okay with it. Or not okay with that, but uh, with it, but is okay by the end product that, you know, comes out of it all. And part of that is the the industry has made it increasingly easy to forget where your food comes from. They try to separate the processing of the animal from the final product. In fact, even, I mean, in English, and you can tell me what it's like in Finnish, but uh, in English, we don't even call the animal and what's on your plate. Usually, we call those two different things. It's a pig when it's alive, but it's pork on the plate. It's a cow in the field, but it's beef on the plate. Do you guys do that in Finnish? Uh, to oh. a point, yeah, but not to that extent. Well, just... We have like difference between cow and a beef, but pig is pig. Chicken is chicken. Yeah, yeah. Chicken, chicken. Same for English as well. Yeah. So, but yeah, beef and pork are different. My excuse for not going fully vegan, at least at the moment, is that that may not be completely my scientific brain here going. But I just am not entirely convinced that we absolutely do not need, in any sense, any of the animal proteins or or the um, different nutrients that you get from those and some of those you you don't get from the plants oh, yeah, yeah yeah i know you can take supplements for salmon but then yeah. there are some of the other stuff that people don't even talk about uh, what are the effects of taurine for brain should we get more taurine you don't really get it from the well, vegan food um, yeah just just admit it man you just like bacon everybody <laughs> fucking loves bacon Yeah, actually, I don't really eat red meat, no. But I would like to have the fish there. And I know that there are huge differences in the way that the um, omegas are absorbed by your body when you get it from the plant-based and when you get it from the meat-based. And I think there's something to be said, too, for, like you mentioned earlier, the manner in which you're getting your your meat is different if it's coming from these large factory farms, which is at least in the States, not sure about it around the world, yeah. but is like 98% of food, of meat that you find in the grocery store comes from these giant factory farms. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's different if, for example, you caught 
your own fish and you cooked it that night. I, I would I would be down for that. I'd be game for that. Because then you're at least processing it yourself. You're having to gut the fish. You're having to clean the fish. You understand what goes into it. Uh, if you've ever seen that show on Netflix, it's called Alive, where they drop a whole bunch of people out into the middle of the Canadian wilderness by themselves, yeah. and they have to survive for like 100 days on their own. Um, it's usually no. a few days before they find – well, it's usually a few days before they find something to eat because they have to do their own hunting or their own fishing or whatever it is. And they try to set traps to catch little things like um, squirrels or rabbits or something like that. And the first time that they catch a squirrel or a rabbit in a little trap, I have never seen a person on that show not cry when they are finishing off that, that animal. Every, every single person cries, I think, because you suddenly, you're suddenly faced with, oh, yeah, this was a thing. This was, this was an, a, a, a being that was alive and had breath and maybe had babies, um, and I just killed it for my own survival. It's a very powerful thing when you're faced with it. So, Zach, do you kill your own food? I do not. I mean, fuck, I, 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 I buy processed meat from the store. No, I, I, yeah, I don't. I mean, I, it, it is definitely a, a contradiction of my life that I, I eat processed animals, uh, and yet I don't approve of it. But I do it because it's easy and convenient to grab it from the store. It is one of the things that I, I mean, I've made incremental changes over the years like i said i don't eat meat for breakfast or lunch it's usually just for one meal a day so that's that's my part that i've tried to do to lessen the impact of the harm that i've done and also for like Gotti mentioned about climate change as well so it's it's my bit that i've done but i'm still a complete hypocrite and yeah i had a ribeye steak the other night and it was fucking delicious mm-hmm in a way, we have also pushed ourselves into a corner where we, whether you like meat or not, whatever your eating preferences are, we just, or whatever you think about the, the healthiness of vegan diet, we just have to move to vegan diet, period. There is, of course, the, the lab-grown meat, which is kind of an interesting in, interesting subject. If, if, if we could kind of uh, take it to the next level, that we could buy it for the same price someday as, as we do the real meat, let's say. And, have and you guys tried one of those Beyond Burgers? I have, and that's actually quite astonishingly tasty. Henrik, have you had one of those like Impossible Burgers? Nope. The, nope. In, in the states now, you can get them at Burger King. You can get a yeah. they call it the Impossible Whopper, and it's the same old Whopper except it's with this fake meat. My husband enjoys them. He thinks they're delicious. He thinks it tastes just like a regular Whopper. I tried one was not a big fan okay tastes maybe but then what does it consist of and when you think about kind of the nutrients that you get from that beyond beef or whatever it's completely different or often is quite different than the actual beef the the fat Mm. ratio the protein ratio carbohydrate ratio all that kind of thing and then how processed it is compared to beef well in if you go to burger king it's always super processed i'm sure of it yeah yeah are you or are your nutrients really important enough to justify, you know, the animal cruelty that is the meat industry? No, my maybe main point here is that what is the more processed option? Getting something from the nature, like a piece of a cow, is it better for you than beyond beef? It might, might even be. 
But let's think about Okin yeah. Okinawa diet. We know, right, that Okinawa diet seems to be one of the healthiest options out there. These people live, there may be several, several reasons, of course, but they live to super old age. Part of the contribution is the diet, and that includes fish. Should they stop eating fish? Well, I guess yes, because there's overfishing, so we should get rid of that. Or should we have better ways of fishing? Or should we eat less fish? Yeah, it just never ends with this topic. But then, also... But back to Cannibal Holocaust. Sorry, one more uh, tangent. <laughs> uh, kind of like, like the, the societal craving for, for real-life violence. Since the entire world learns absolutely nothing from Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> and today we have, like, you know, we, we celebrate those photographs of, for example, the... 9-11 aftermath, like the the falling man picture, which is like, oh my god, it's such such a fucking art. Or all those close-up pictures of severed hands and, and, you know, smashed heads as people were jumping off from the burning towers. Hmm. Quite sick, yeah. But okay, what, what do you think about people, for example, who live in Greenland and their local food is eating the seal or fish in general? Is, is that... A bad thing should they just import all the food that they eat from denmark or elsewhere in the world is that the good way to go uh, <laughs> uh, there are all of these animal activists now pointing the finger you're eating seal you're covered in seal you eat fish you overfish well do you have any other ideas well you you could you know go with fake protein yeah which is collected from Probably. i don't know colombia yeah, I think yeah. different cultures have different things that are quote-unquote normal to them that other cultures would view as strange. Eating seal is not something that I would go for, but if I grew up in Greenland, then that would probably be very normal for me. I think it's in Sweden. I don't think it's as big of a deal to eat horse meat, but that's not something that you would necessarily do in America. But it's very very normal for Swedes, I think. I don't, don't mind me maligning Swedes there. Um, yeah, it's uh, also so, in Finland, but it's not something that you eat daily, but you yeah, have it. And, and the indigenous crew members in, in, the, in the crew of Cannibal Holocaust ate the monkey brains that, that they killed. Yeah, so... Because it was some type of a delicacy to them. Yeah, correct. So they spliced two, two heads of these, these monkeys, and there was one fake brain prepared that he... The, the actor would have been then eating. The, it was tuna fish and something else in that fake brain. But he was like, so on the moment, that yeah, hell, I'm going to go with the real brain, just like the natives or these people who live there. Were those actors or f from uh, the, the people who were playing the natives, were those actual uh, natives from the Amazon or were they, yeah. they just cast a bunch of like Filipino people? Yeah, apparently they were able to cast actual tribes people to the movie, and they didn't get paid. <laughs> I, I, you literally took the uh, not literally, you took the words out of my mouth. I was about to say, I wonder if they even got paid. Yeah, no. Even more exploitation. And it it kind of presents an interesting question, I guess, about the the treatment of the tribes there and this uh, this whole racism going on in full swing. Oh, these are these people from elsewhere, and they have weird habits. And let's get her to the cinema to see these weird tribes and how they behave. And ooh, this is not quite right. They must be ready to kill everybody who they come in contact with. 
Some tribes do, not all. Then again, I kind of found it easier in, in Cannibal Holocaust. Or I, I kind of saw more depth. Not, not necessarily in the, in the how the film portrayed the natives, but in the general discussion around the native po uh, portrayal and Cannibal Holocaust's role in that discussion than, for example, than in many other, for example, documentary films. Like this, this dance that, that the natives of the Amazon, they are some type of a alien species, something really unknown, and we white Westerners, we have to go with our film cameras there to capture the primate. It's, it's something that has been, and still, even today, is, is with our society. Like, National Geographic sends, sends journalists to do coverage on how I was with these cannibalistic natives. But the Finnish travel documentary show Madventures had an episode about how they met the cannibalistic natives. So, in, on, on that regard, Cannibal Holocaust is, is not the only one who, who plays the, the, the primitive scar here. And I kind of saw merit in the way how the film approaches the stance on, you know, natives as dirty as primitives through the two expeditions. There's the first expedition, the Expedition A, which is the documentary crew, which goes there from very much... From, from the same standpoint, or is presenting the exact same authority as, as National Geographic or Mad Ventures or fucking HBO documentaries, which is, I'm, I'm gonna go there, I'm gonna film something real, I'm gonna capture these, these natives in the natural inhabitant, it's gonna be fucking epic, I'm doing science. And it goes completely tits up. They, like, they, they... Essentially, what they end up being is just modern-day colonialists. Yeah. To, to a point where they massacre part of the village and then force the, the survivors of the massacre to sit around there and watch as they are having sex. Just so that, you know, the Westerners can show these dirty-ass natives the proper way of making love. And that, that's, that's like extremely colonialistic stands. And then you have the Expedition P, which is the professor who tries to take exactly the, the opposite approach, where he tries to have an active dialogue with the tribes, and he tries to, to come to terms and have a, have a, like, exchange and be like, you know, can you please give me the film? I can give you something. He, the, the tribes feel that he, he helps them as he removes the, the curse of the white man over, over their heads that was left, you know, there by the expedition A. The, the first act of cannibalism is, is that of ritualistic one. The tribe man who gets captured is, is some type of a son of a shaman who is trying to do a ritual with his friends. To, to eat part of the body in order to remove the white man's curse, quotation marks, 
from his village and now the professor comes in and does exactly that for the tribe in the end so you have two expeditions one which which is extremely western and extremely quote-unquote journalistic and then you have the uh, the expedition b which is academic one that is harmful and nothing but and one that in the end uh, turns out to be someone who wants to talk, is willing to listen, and ends up being beneficial to the tribes. That being said, I can't recommend that you buy this film. I can't recommend that you listen to us talking about this film. And when it comes to this whole whole banning, would you ban Cannibal Holocaust? Mm, me, personally, no. I have a hard time when it comes to banning art, even when I think it's bad art. I... I I don't know. My I guess my my short answer would be I'm, I'm I would lean towards no, don't ban it because I th- I feel like that's a very slippery slope. Mm, yeah. Maybe I think the art ends there where you start to torture animals for your livelihood. Well, I I don't know. I, like I I can understand the da- stance, but I can't really join it because as as mentioned, I've already embraced films where you know they kill animals yeah well I, i'm not willing to go back on apocalypse now i'm not gonna go back on my stance with Malberg, even after finding out that the dude killed a horse and almost killed a person i'm i'm not gonna you know abandon haneke even though he kill, has killed a number of animals in his in different of his films. Like I, I, I do, perhaps, perhaps you know, I'm I'm some type of a, you know dark presence of the podcast. But I, I'm fu- fully willing to be the overall asshole that that you just have to suffer with, or you can you know kick me out of the podcast and say that you you are not willing to work someone like me. I fully accept that. I fully understand that. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay before, and I'm like, even though even I may not like it, but I'm not gonna condemn it here the harder than I did it with Coppola. Yeah, would still say that these are movies that are approached still from a different angle and wouldn't say I, that. I, 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 I still maintain, I, I see more point in the animal cruelty in here than I did with Coppola. Like, I would say you, you can you can write me an essay how necessary the fucking ox was in in apocalypse and I still won't see that see see that point that the necessity to kill a live animal in that film fair point uh, can I, I'm gonna do something wild and I'm gonna give a compliment to to <laughs> to this film if that's okay because I think it is worthy of being called out and applauded. When any film, as bad as it is, like Cannibal Holocaust is, when they give just equal opportunity for the male and female nudity. Because <laughs> I think a, a lot of films are from a male perspective, the straight male perspective. There's usually a lot more female nudity and usually no male nudity or maybe just a touch. It was equal opportunity. There were penises and vaginas all over the place in this. Then, then again, then again, when it comes to approach of sexuality in movie. That the sexual violence is still in Cannibal Holocaust. It's subjugated only to females. And True. only women are being punished for sexual acts. 
And yes. oh boy, are they being punished for sexual acts. True, but we have uh, examples of the kind of roles being switched in the follow-up ones, to an extent. To minor extent, I would say. Minor extent. Extent, anyway. There was an extent. Delicatessen, anyone? You. Yeah. Well, this is... It's, it's a nice palate cleanser, pun intended. Directed by Jean-Pierre Junior, more or less. Uh, precisely the right guy to create utterly disgusting, stomach-turning worlds, such as Alien Resurrection. Which is not as bad film as, as people, you know, give it credit. It's quite dog shit. It's, but... it's surprisingly enjoyable. <laughs> enjoyable is not the word that I would use for that film. Like, holy it, shit! It most this, definitely is. Holy shit! This I don't know if he if if he brought his cinematographer on board for that film as well. I wouldn't be surprised if he did because it's these these worlds that this director creates. I'm gonna say it right off the bat. Like this, he is like a master artist of creating worlds that are disgusting as shit. I don't know. I I didn't feel that. I didn't completely feel that with with you know Alien Resurrection. I didn't completely feel that with Delicatessen. Yeah. Like I I see what you are coming at, and I did recognize you know somewhat disgusting visuals, but they it didn't make my stomach turn. Yeah. He he is also most famously known for Amelie. Yeah, and was he also in the City of Lost Children? Yeah. As a second director. Yeah. yeah. I've seen, I will confess, I've seen about half of Amelie, and I wasn't convinced to return to watch the rest after I fell asleep. Oh, but come on, man. that That's art, and it's, it's international. It's French. Yeah, yeah, it's French. It's also quite good film. Well, at least they didn't kill any pigs or snakes or what have you. He also did a very long engagement, uh, a really beautiful French film. Very romantic. I, re- I recommend it. Hmm. It's yeah, a, perhaps we at some day we have to do a director like deep dive episode. I was thinking that we could do this for you know to to look at or kind of deep dive why I just feel so disgusted about about his his visuals. But so dilapidated doesn't even begin to describe this apartment building from hell. We have the downstairs butcher shop. We have this weird cult of people downstairs who are trying to avoid the butcher shop there is there there is some themes of the otherness again here people in the underworld whatever you want to call it in the sewers this green aliens in the sewers <laughs> in the spandex pants are trying to stay away from the evil upstairs world where there's this evil butcher guy and therefore everybody else is evil yeah i gotta say th- this film is okay it was uh, definitely very different coming off of because I watched, I watched them in chronological order, and so Cannibal Holocaust first, and this one second, and um, this was definitely a, a a change in tone, this sort of black comedy, um, with Dominique Pignon, who is so much fun to watch. Um, okay. What he does with his face, I think, is just so playful and fun and interesting and I, I did very much like his performance and some performances of others as well it was to me almost I, I i should have probably looked it up before 
um, if this or Sweeney Todd came out first, because it was giving me very strong Sweeney Todd vibes. These most definitely was before Sweeney Todd. Uh, no, no, Sweeney Todd was first, because it came out in 79. Oh, so it, okay, yeah, you're talking about that Sweeney Todd. Yeah, I was, I was talking about... Uh, the, 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 yeah, the original musical. That. Yeah, not the Johnny Depp, but the, yeah, the original the, musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it was giving me very Sweeney Todd vibes, which I'm I'm down for, but it was um I don't think quite as well executed as something as that. But it was it was fine. I would say it, it was just fine for me. Yeah, the words that arise when talking about his films and this film is kind of the science fictiony angularity, idealized realities, or just paying homage to, I don't know, some kind of a comic book type of storytelling where Everything in every frame is sort of made interesting or caricaturic. Uh, honestly, I just can't. Yeah, it, I, I I just don't it, like. It, it is. Yeah. It is the the kind of I don't know modern French surrealism, uh, which was a big thing in in nineteen nineties to early two thousands in France. And as someone who. Once again, has to confess, I haven't seen Delicatessen before before the episode, even though I've known about its existence for, once again, you know, over a decade now, and still haven't haven't checked it out. I must say, I absolutely loved the film. Okay, I will say that I honestly, absolutely just can't stand films like this. And I, I don't want to sound like a pontificate here and i've been playing with pontification in this podcast but i'm just stating how i see it which is completely 180 to you i suppose it's like a comic book that is forced into live action and nothing makes sense and no one has character motives or arcs that's just the goal is to pull audiences with disconnected elaborate tricks the point of the director is to kind of make us touch taste and feel and the most disgusting, this mold-ridden, rotting building. Maybe the most disgusting building ever put on film. But some of the set pieces, they, they are impressive. I give it that much. Then we have this beautiful urine filter color grading of the movie. And it doesn't go away until the last five seconds of the film. Shame. Not into this type of style. I don't know why. I, you have on the to other do hand, it. I... I found the building interesting not disgusting i was i was fascinated by by the building and its tenants they are all these caricaturic people who I, I don't know why they even have these kind of a uh, characters there's this siren woman all of these occupants yeah, doing they, some they random were, they things they were fun as as fuck to follow have we finally find the kind of humor that you like in this podcast jesus I, I I wasn't I, I wasn't laughing my ass off, but I did have this constant smirk in, in smirk in my face when I was watching this. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, that that's so. I I'm not saying cool nor clever, but in lack of better term, cool and clever. Yeah. Not to of course that I've seen this a million times where we have caricature characters. The, the butcher shop owner. Yeah, but I, like, I do <laughs> think they, they worked in this visual context. It's the same thing that, that for, with, with also City of Lost Children and with Amelie. I, I feel that 
these type of caricatures, they, they work in in certain type of films, certain stylistic films, and with certain type of stories. I'm just not following what's being done here. Why it has to be depicted as so disgusting and kind of all of these different events disconnected from each other and casting Dominique Pinon into the lead role, who's supposed to be this kind he of... He was fucking great. He's supposed to be this kind of Come youth. On, he's he's supposed to be this kind of youthful, boyish-looking guy who makes the entire apartment building enamored with him. Like, are you kidding me? Like, get real movie. He he was he he was he he had he had a, a boyish nature. No, like, like no, no, no. He he wasn't wasn't a goddamn charmer by his looks, but he was charming by his behavior. No, he wasn't. Miscast of the century. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He was. He was constantly happy and helpful and joyful and and hard He's the work. playful he, clown. He that 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 thing thing with with the soap bubbles and the thing with the soap bubbles was adorable. Yeah, this is the kind of film my my teacher would pop on in some kind of a art class and look at how much I love this film. And usually, yeah, it's and just, he, and, yeah. Yeah, and he would be absolutely right. <laughs> you, you you just enjoy being a negative Nancy. Just, just admit it, Gary. For for once, maybe I can have this negative Nancy. I have to say, I just love that we've the three of us were on completely different places on the spectrum, from really like to eh to really dislike. I think that's pretty great. <laughs> And, and this is this is the second film where we are on on different spectrums. I, like we we had a fight over Cannibal Holocaust. Apparently, we are going to have a fight over Delicatessen, and, and I I'm fairly certain we're going to have a fight over the last two movies. I'm fairly certain in, in today's list. Yeah, yeah. But but where where in Cannibal Holocaust, cannibalism was was an act of of societal culture. Uh, in in Delicatessen, cannibalism is a form of convenience for these characters. That's how I'm going to kind of approach these movies. I'm, I'm going to, to find out, or I'm, gonna, I'm asking them, what is the cannibalism in the movie acts about today? Well, in, That's my approach. I guess Delicatessen is showing the way that we are. That this is, we, we are the butcher shop guys. Mm, okay. Kind of, yeah. Because the, the cannibalism in in delicatessen is unnecessary. It's yeah. it's not any kind of a cultural tradition as it was for for the tribes. It's not anything ritualistic for these people. It's it's not even driven by a real need. The, the film makes a mention that there's a there's some type of food shortage that is never really truly expanded upon in in the film's France. But these are not starving people. Like obviously they, they have snails and frogs, which are a delicacy in, in France. They also have like like wheat, seeing how they have biscuits and like decorative cops in in their apartment at least Julie has they they can also use the the grain as as some sort of money and they they can gather like like huge huge sacks of grain they are capable of having fat people so obviously 
these guys ain't starving. They, they don't have to, you know, be cannibals in order to stay alive. No, it's, it's just, you know, convenience. It's, it's a laziness. It's all about, you know, I, I really like steak, mm-hmm. but I guess livestock is a bit scarce. So I'm going to eat human. Which I don't really like either. I found it kind of actually strong point. I mean, from the, the film side, the butcher guy doesn't really care about the feelings of of humans. Just uses gonna labor until he's ready to use the use the knife. I kind of did like though the quote in the near the beginning of the film. I don't know how well it translates to French, but I believe the meaning is gonna be the same. Quote: You don't seem to be cut out for the job. Yeah, and and we with the with the butcher's shop guy, you kind of. In my opinion, you come to the second point of the film, which is visualizing societal structures as two different groups. Like, in my opinion, it's really in in your face that the sewer people, well, obviously they are supposed to be like vegans, and the the apartment building is the meat eaters. So so you have the, the first divide between two social groups. And then you have also the divide between classes or societal systems, where the vegans of the film are they, they take care of each other. When one of their kind gets wounded at the end of the film, that one guy becomes a top priority. Everybody is willing to, to risk themselves in order to try to help that one wounded guy. And when when member of the group fuck up somehow, like they do, for example, when they mix up who to kidnap and they accidentally kidnap the lady... That mistake, which is a major mistake, they have now exposed themselves in the operation, they have put themselves in the harm's way, now they have to do it again because of the wrong person who got, got nabbed. The, it's, the mistake, even though it's being cursed, it's still being accepted. Nobody is being ousted from, from the commune of vegans simply because, you know, you fucking idiot, you kidnapped the wrong person. And at the same time, the meat eaters work very much like a capitalistic society where nothing is free, the strong eat eat the weak. Those who are found sexually pleasing by the owner of the butcher shop can enjoy like special service because, you know, the, the, the provider of the meat, the, the head of production wants to have sexual favors even even at the point where one of the tenants have as he's been unable to pay the rent he now has to offer his in-law to the same goddamn meat conveyor belt and give her up to the to the butcher to a point where also madame blows who has been for the most part in the film being portrayed as actually quite sympathetic character in the final moment when she's being offered a choice. Either stay in the sewers and perhaps try to join the, the vegans or return back to the surface and take your place with, with meat eaters. She chooses the meat. And from that point onwards, 
treats Louison, the main character, with hostility and at least to me appears to be championing that the that clapet, the, the butcher of the film, would, you know, just just kill for Louison off and make stakes out of him. So to to me it read very much like like two social groups against each other, but also two class systems against each other. Yeah, that's the intellectual one that is side. that is healthy and forgiving and one that is is cruel. And on the other side you have this random comedic moments disconnected from the story. Random bah sounds rhythmic fucking on the bed perverted postman condom balloons and these frogs and snails jumping well, well frogs and snails they serve a narrative point the postman serves a narrative and thematic point the postman very much is someone who is the head of an essential institution at least for the surface dwellers and is completely okay with you you know the, the capitalistic cannibalistic butchering in the butcher shop even wants to you know take a major part in helping that system stay alive and also is very willing to violently safeguard his position as an institution and abuse his position as an institution in other words it's a film where you put societal constructs into a kind of a different context or a minimalized context give postman this role and then the butcher shop is the meat eaters and then you have the cave dwellers or the vegans vegetarians and therefore art especially coming from france ah come on it, it was a nice film right. nope yeah it was you just don't want to admit it i really actually thought that you would have been champion delicatessen I knew that we are going to fight about Cannibal Holocaust. I'm really surprised that we are at odds with, with Delicatessen. Mm. Like, like the, come on, this is, this is the, the, the second film in today's list that, that argues for, you know, cutting off meat and, you know, going with, with other, other food so- sources. Essentially, Delicatessen is, is championing for veganism. Trabian. Dumplings. Third victim of the night. Henrik, your experience with dumplings. Never seen the feature film version. Dumplings originally is a, is a movie that, that had its origin as a one of the shorts in the Three Extremes anthology film. And I originally I've seen Dumplings as a as a as a short. I kinda was underwhelmed by it. Again, I was kind of underwhelmed by the entire three extremes, which I felt was like, okay, but nothing mm. mind exploding, exploding. I kind of felt that all the directors, that they didn't bring their A-game, in my opinion, to the three extremes. N- not a worthless film. So should have been renamed The Three Moderates. Uh, the Three Moderates <laughs> would have been more, ex- more, you know, accurate. Gotcha. It's it's not a worthless film collection like you you can now say that that you have like Takashi Miike short film in your collection granted but wasn't a huge fan I was kind of hoping that that the feature film version 
would be like like a game changer for me. That that now that Dumblings has an hour and thirty minutes instead of thirty minutes to go on, it it would be like now I would finally see why it's so goddamn special in the film, and it just didn't happen. Uh, interesting, this whole three extremes mess in the Western market because, as I stated to Zach or indicated to Zach yesterday, um, they these are some gong and some gong yi originally, and the yi indicating the second part. Well, the three extremes is the second part of the some gong, <laughs> and then the first part was named three extremes too because they decided, oh well, I guess the first one did good, so we're gonna release the uh, first part. But yeah, keep, keeping in with, with what is cannibalism in, in these films, uh, Dumblings is the film where cannibalism is an act of vanity. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. We have the Hong Kong's second wave called director Cheng Guo, also known as Fruit Chan. He is the kind of guy who has, has had quite of an effect on the Hong Kong film industry back in the day. He's done films that touch on the everyday societal situations, such as um, prostitution, army, and um, public toilets. And his key movies include the, the first movie of his prostitution trilogy. This is called Durian Durian. And Fruchan was seen as the first filmmaker who kind of challenged the status quo of the Hong Kong film market and making. And he told these realistic stories of the real societal challenges in Hong Kong, where I guess the others were a little bit too chicken shit to do it. Three Extremes cut is better, in my opinion. Yeah, it is. It is. It's It's not a masterpiece. I felt that Dumplings was, was the, the perhaps the weakest entry in the collection. And okay. as I already stated, none of them were in the in the strongest in, in Extremes. But I didn't actually see what was so goddamn special supposed to be in in the feature of film version of Dumblings that it would have merited the extra hour that it got into its runtime. Right. Um. So they shot additional scenes to make it into a full length film, as I understand. I don't think there's that much kind of a dropped out material that they then pasted in later. And they, like the the original short film, doesn't does not have material that you chop down because it's so bare bones. Uh, and so, in the three extremes cut, it's the lead who gets pregnant, then kills her own fetus and eats it. That's kind of the key key difference. Which is a hell of a lot stronger ending. Yeah. Than what what we have in the feature film where we just you know your adulterous husband's mistress who now is pregnant and you you and the, the lead ends up buying her child and cooks that one and it's like it it's nowhere in, in near the ballpark as was the original shorts ending where yeah. the, the the lead. First of all, it, it's established that the lead can't get pregnant. They have tried for God knows how long and it hasn't happened. And now finally a miracle happens and she finally is a pregnant. And this is the only possibility that she can have to have a, have a child. And then she makes the choice to, to abort the fetus. And we don't even get the CGI tongue at the end. I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. I... 
and have not seen the short films, but I liked this one. But it's interesting to hear the perspective of we didn't, you know, it didn't merit having the extra hour that the short film sort of set it all, which makes me want to go back and now watch the short film. Then again, the full version doesn't make you necessarily feel like this is just fluff. It works pretty well, but it's not as interesting. To me, it felt like fluff. Okay. And padding. I didn't. I didn't feel that. I, I felt like now knowing what the extraneous parts of the story were that were, that were the parts that were added. I sort of liked those. It sort of built out the world a little bit more and sort of built out these characters' lives a little bit more. But I thought this one was, considering we were coming from a film that I did not like at all and a film that was, eh, okay, this I thought, oh, okay, we're getting better now. I'm actually seeing some some craft behind the camera and seeing something, uh, a story that's being told in a very interesting way. I, I yeah I, I just I think one thing I'm going to point out a very strange detail. <laughs> There's a scene where you see the husband, the asshole husband who's getting his feet massaged, and he's flirting with the. Well, I was going to say the massage therapist because typically the words masseuse or masseur are are frowned upon because they have this sort of sexual connotation of like you know getting happy endings and such. But that's sort of what he gets. So maybe masseuse is the proper term in this context. But he orders something be brought to him poolside, and it's a fertilized duck egg, which I've seen. And my husband is from Southeast Asia. He's Cambodian. And it's something that's eaten in Cambodia as well as Thailand and other places in uh, in Asia. But seeing it in this context <laughs> was jarring. Mm-hmm. My husband's eaten them. They, um, th- I've never eaten one, but he's eaten them, and they're very normal to him. But seeing it like this, oh my gosh, just threw me for a loop. Apparently, they they smell like horror. Yeah, they don't smell good. Yeah. No. But then after I saw this this film and I was telling him about that scene, I said, what's, I, I, I ask him often, uh, how do you say X in in Kamai? So I said, how, how do you say the, the fertilized duck eggs in Kamai? And he said, oh, it's bongtia gun. And I was like, oh, that's right, because I already knew the word for egg, which is bongtia. But then it's the last addition to that, which is gun. Which I was like, wait, I know that word. Why do I know that word? I do not speak Kamai. At a, I only know a handful of phrases and words, uh, mostly when you know, sort of trying to be polite uh, when I'm with his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, then it hit me like a ton of bricks that "gun" is the word that his mother-in-law calls me, and basically calls everyone everyone else that's younger than her. It's like the it's equivalent of saying like, "Oh yes, my child." It's um. Uh, like it's like it's sort of a gender neutral child term. So literally, what you're saying with these fertilized duck eggs are egg duck child, which just made it so much more visceral when I have been called that word. <sighs> but again, this line of eating meat, eating these fertilized duck eggs, it's a very thin line. There's very few steps between that and and cannibalism. Yeah, it was kind of a visceral experience also the this woman lead who still wants to win his husband over even though 
he's fucking some other girl. Like, hell, she should have just killed the husband like the other lady did, right? <laughs> but this raises an interesting question about one-child policy problem in China, perhaps. <laughs> or it doesn't fucking really. It just shows the, the, the that... Fil film says one-child policy, but it doesn't really ask a question. Like, yeah. it, it half asks and then does nothing with the question. I tried to Google if people actually do this, that they grab the kind of a girl fetuses, for example, and, and take them for take them for dinner for some kind of a health benefits, longevity, beauty. But I couldn't find anything like that. Most of the things that I read were just uh, trying to debunk some pictures that are circulating online for the last 20 years. But what is true is that people have the um, placenta is what they eat. Yeah. And China itself is not completely foreign to the concept of cannibalism. I don't know if, if it mm. has ever extended to the fetuses, most likely not. Cannibalism but... you mean during the uh, Japanese occupation? Uh, with cannibalism I mean before the occupation. And like back in the, the historical days, way back in mm. the imperial China, China days. And also with when they have the cultural revolution yeah. there, there's a whole lot, hell of a lot of cannibalism that has happened around the world well henrik it's a different culture therefore who are you to to step on the toes of other cultures and saying that this is wrong I, no. i'm a descendant of of a culture of uh, well not not really culture of cannibalist but but a country that has individual cases of cannibalism in its history. Yes, so apparently if you eat these magical, magical dumplings, then you might be 80 and you will at least feel like you're 18 again. Or you so, will look like you are 18. Yeah, feel or look. I think it was said as feel. But anyways. Yeah, but it's also <laughs> supposed to make your cheating ass husband once again really have a strong boner for you. So mostly, so it is also meant to, to make you look younger. As well, Aunt May is a is a like living advertisement. Well, the husband entered the dumplings apartment just so that he could have a boner, I guess. Uh, he enters the, the apartment well first out of curiosity, but he re-enters the apartment. For once, uh, also the the youthening effect of of the magical dumplings. Yeah, but it was a nice theory, Henrik. Let's say he goes there for the boner, and he kind of does, but he doesn't need dumplings he, he for does. that. He does. Yeah. He he does also that, and and with with the constant boners of of his husband, what, one of my gripes that I did have with with dumplings, and I know this is gonna sound weird. Because I just defended characteristic characters in the previous film. But I really strongly felt that fucking everybody, especially the goddamn husband, is an absolute caricature. Where you have like like the shittiest husband in, in the world of shitty husbands. Right. But yeah, too bad. Getting old sucks. Now a bit of a personal question, if I may. You don't have to answer. Are you guys worried about your aging in the same sense as in the movie are you worried about your youthful looks 
No, because I I don't really need my youthful looks to anyone. Also, I don't need my libido to do anything. So it's my sex life. Essentially, it's my right hand. It's getting pretty lonely. <laughs> I don't but <laughs> I I am I am afraid of uh, the the possibility that that a day may come. And I've said this previously. I, I feel that we are closing on some type of a societal conflictual edge. And I'm semi worried that once we that the time when we finally enter the conflict may be too late and I'm too old and too weak and physically too broken to protect my loved ones. That's what I'm afraid of. I would say I'm not necessarily afraid of losing my youthful looks. I I don't think there's anything particularly special about the way I look. Uh, I, I say that also recognizing my uh, privilege of having a a husband who is attracted to older men. So I sort of have a, a, a secure place uh, reserved for myself here. Uh, but that being said, I, I also want to echo yeah, what Henrik said. It's more of a concern of my physical capabilities, my also a very very American concern of being able to afford to take care of myself since the number one cause of bankruptcy in America is medical bills. So that's more of my more of my concern is the financial and the being able to take care of my, my loved ones. Yeah, I have a bit of a confusion going on why it seems that most of the at least in the Western culture we prefer the super hairy look. I just try to look as as youthful as I as I can. If anyone is feeling attracted to me, they can contact me on this podcast. And <laughs> please don't sport a beard. <laughs> yeah, he's available on Twitter at <laughs> or his uh, his his OnlyFans account is. <laughs> no. I guess due to time, we need to move on to Raw. <laughs> oh, one, one last quick thing about dumplings. Uh, I do think it's funny. And when I say funny, I mean interesting. <laughs> that this idea of dumplings of, oh yes, you take these aborted fetuses and you eat them and it gives you this youth and vitality and energy and it'll keep you alive is exactly what the QAnon crazy people think you know hillary clinton is doing and joe biden and all the the democrats that they're they are ingesting i i think if i have the conspiracy right that they are ingesting the blood of of infants to get the adrenal chrome or something like that into their blood systems and it's what's keeping them alive i just that's very interesting to me that this horror film is what they think is real and before we move, uh, also a quick point about dumplings. The first one, I, I guess I have to state out, since I criticized the film for its characteristic characters, is that even though I really hated the way how the shitty husband is the ultimate shitty husband of all the shitty husbands, shit, 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 the shitty husband aspect, which is something that the feature film invented, is actually... In 
what a good service in toning down some of the the well the toxic attitude of of the story itself. Like the original short film is only centers around our main character and therefore around female characters. And then the whole story is like women are ready to pay extensive amounts of money and eat dirty aborted fetuses just so that they can they can look young because they are so goddamn vain and it's always about the looks for the women ain't it and in the feature film through the shitty ass husband we actually also get a male presentation to the exactly same behavior so for that one for that one you know point for for the feature film well done what kind of has been bugging me or what what I have felt is is kind of weak-handed approach to the subject matter, which is the the attempt to achieve youth or youthfulness, is that in both films, the short and the feature, the youth in the movie is only to serve carnal pleasures. Like the only reason it it's they they don't seek for to look youth so that they could have more career opportunities or or new ways into society it's it's purely just so that someone else will find me sexually attractive and i kind of felt that that was like you you guys do all of this just for sex well i i, I, I wouldn't eat baby fetuses for that but this movie genuinely started to make me question like what would be the best sources of food to eat so that you will keep your youthful looks to kind of, kind of maintain your attract- attractiveness to the, well, same sex? Hollywood yeah. actors, they get paid crazy amount of money and part of their work is just, you know, that they work out at home just so that they keep yeah. up their appearances. Exactly, which is why Kumel Nanjiani, when he posted that picture on Instagram of him looking shredded for the upcoming Eternals film, he said, this was possible because Marvel paid me, and this was my job. This is all I did, was get my body to look like this. This is not normal. Normal people do not accomplish this. And I love that he called it out of like, don't look at these pictures of me and go, oh my God, I'm going to start looking like that. Well, unless you've got the largest movie studio in the world behind you, it's going to be a lot more difficult. Yep. Raw? Raw. Yeah. Cannibalism as a genetical defect, essentially. Mm have to say I've never eaten my own hair as far as I can recall. I don't know about Henrik, but... But, um, yeah. Well, well, the chicken ring, the American version did. Chicken ring. Chicken ring. The chicken ring. The <laughs> yes. horror movie that we just... <laughs> you, you may have heard about this, this, this movie podcast, The Flick Lab. Yeah, yeah. We had a bunch of hair discussion there. But apparently hair goes well with gay rips and shank if you're into that kind of stuff uh the medical term is called trichophagia by the way eating one's own hair oh thank you for that yeah a sweet coming of age cannibalism movie right <laughs> directed by um julia Ducornu. so we have a vegetarian first year student and is having her first semester 
she then tastes meat for the first time, and thus began this lesbian's craving for man meat, apparently, among other meat. But I get the, the this... get the view that she's a lesbian character. Oh, I was I was just about to question you about that. I guess I I didn't feel that at all. All right, I Neither get. Did I. I definitely get some sexual tension between the lead and the la- other lady. I actually viewed her as very asexual, and yep, because I think part of the, I think part of the film is sort of an interesting study of, you know, sort of human sexuality and the sort of primal nature of female desire, which is often viewed as very taboo and very sort of unnatural. And so I sort of viewed the cannibalism and her sort of coming of age and sort of discovering her sexuality as sort of going hand in hand. So at the beginning of the film, she does not eat meat, and she's also very sort of asexual. But then her sexuality and her cannibalism sort of grow simultaneously. Yeah, the cannibalism in, in Raw very strongly is, as you pointed out, it's a, it's a symbol for, for sexuality. It's, a, it's also a symbol for puberty. Hmm. You know, there's another. I'm gonna, if I if I can, for a moment, uh, go on another little expedition here. This film is very shocking. There's a lot of uh, images that are uh, that stick with you, but I I think that there's something I wasn't expecting was this sort of interesting relationship between sex and cannibalism that both are these visceral primal you know carnal acts that are both sort of inextricably bound in flesh and fluids and and sorry we're going there and you know in sex you're putting another person's body in your mouth at times you use your tongue to uh, explore the the exterior and sometimes even the interior of another person's body at times, some people even ingest body parts, semen, vaginal secretions, sweat. Uh, if you are giving oral sex to a person who menstruates and they are menstruating at the time, you could even be ingesting blood. Sex and cannibalism are a lot closer tied together than I had previously thought before it sort of was thrust upon me in this film. And to, to get to our sort of really big overarching question here of is cannibalism the, the ultimate taboo? I think it is, but not because it's sort of the last stop on, on the train, and it's it, it is it is the 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 furthest thing that we as humans can do. I think it's actually the opposite. I think it's because it's the closest thing that we do to it. When we hear of someone being of someone murdering another person, we think, "Oh God, that's terrible! They murdered someone." When we hear of someone raping another person, we think, "Oh my God, that's terrible! They raped someone." And then we hear of cannibalism. Oh my gosh! It's we think that's so so terrible. It's but it, like it's almost on the far end though. But we sex is and as we've discussed, eating meat in general is so close. I I think that we really do fear it. That it is the ultimate taboo, not because it's the furthest option, but because it's the closest. Yeah, there's definitely some kind of a carnal carnal connection between the two. Would it be that when you start having sex, this would somehow maybe uh, create some kind of an impulse or some kind of imagery, feelings, cravings towards even food. I haven't really thought about it, but um, when you think about the kind of the, when you have these living plates or, or what do you call them when they have the beautiful lady who gets naked and they serve the food 
from the lady. On the lady. So that's gonna... Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know a name for it. Yeah. But so, yeah, that, that could be something that they have been thinking when they when they came up with that concept. Yeah, then again, it kind of bears to remember that as a taboo, cannibalism is kind of Western taboo. It's it's taboo and, and hard to believe to us, but not necessarily so much outside of Western territories. Yeah, but should the lady be put down now that she has tasted flesh? The film kind of presents No, because this... it's a dog shit argument. Interesting that you say dog shit. Well, the dog is, <laughs> dog is put down for the exact same thing that mm-hmm. the lady is doing. So it's a fantastic argument. Maybe she should be put down immediately. Uh, yeah, the, the, if a dog bites a human, it c- creates a taste for human blood and will attack again is a theory. Yeah, it's exactly what happens to the girl. I as guess well that often gets spread around and it's also, you know, not backed by scientific proof. It Essentially, it's, it's bullshit. But okay. Th- there is no kill switch. In, in dog, it bites you and it will be a bite again. Basically, anyone who has dealt with dogs knows this. So, in, in that mo- sense, um, the, the, the whole notion where, where the argument or the question com- stems from in the film, like the film itself frames the whole question about should the cannibal be put down around, you know, the dog bites human question, where, where the question is shit. It's it's not true. So in in that sense, then the, I guess no. And I guess film also kind of argues with this. Well, of course, dogs bite the owners all the time. Sometimes for playful reasons, sometimes by accident. Sometimes the owner can be an asshole and there's a proper reason for biting. But I don't think we're talking about that kind of biting in the argument. We're talking about actually tasting the human flesh, taking chunks off a human and eating it. Well... No, we are not, because that's not what happens in the film. It's like not, the, but the, it's not. The entire but argument. Yeah, but that's that's the that's, that's the lie. That's that's a lie because they everybody supposes that they that it was the dog that, that took the chunk out of the girl. It is, it is, it is. But at the same time, like the argument itself is false, and therefore the argument that they present would be presented wrong if, if they would like mean it in the context that you mean it. Like the dog consumed human flesh. That's not what they say. They say bite. Yeah. It's not the same thing as eat. It's not. That the film itself knowingly, through its dialogue, ties the argument into the if dog bites a human line of thought, which is quite common in those circles that don't understand dogs, a.k.a. cat people or cat owners. But it also, as, as you mentioned, it's uh, like, at, at the same time, it's, it is bullshit, the argument itself. Okay, I can't really fight you on that because I don't know if, if dogs will continue with that behavior. But yeah, there's a bunch of questions that they film proposes. I think this is this is just a huge advertisement for the go vegan movement. Honestly. Honestly, look at look at what it's, what what's it doing. It's saying that eating meat is bad. The last piece of dialogue in the film is I'm sure you can find a way. 
go vegan, go vegan, go vegan. That's what it's yeah, saying. Yeah, it is, it is. This is a huge go vegan argument uh, or advertisement. It's also a film that that argues that, that human equal animals, which is yeah. precisely the reason why I'm fairly certain, like like already coming, when coming into today's episode's recording session, I was fairly certain that this is actually a film that you endorsed and really want to push forward for here today. Today, wrong. God damn! What? Come on! It's it's go vegan and human equal animals. Wrong, wrong, Henry. You you have to do better for the next episode with your guesses. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, once you get the taste, then you can stop. And you shouldn't eat because it will have terrible consequences. But nothing's connected here, Henrik. This this is my problem again. It's like a collection of of disconnected scenes that are clued together only by the kind of the sum of events that happen in the scenes. But you could reorganize most of these scenes in the film with ridiculous ease. Because there's not a natural continuation from scene to scene in that sense. You don't have like a Maybe lady goes out of the door and she says that I'm going to go to the party. No, it's like, and one kind of a story of itself inside a story, then take another story and then then you're in a party all of a sudden. And so this is like a movie, uh, like a collection of detached events. And it's a little bit jarring after a while. I, myself, I, I didn't have that experience nor that problem. Yeah. And I think I'd, I don't I don't feel that the film kind of carries. I mean, we get what the movie is kind of doing, at least when you're in the halfway. And then you're kind of like, yeah, same thing here, same thing here, same thing here. Can we stop? I Go didn't ahead, have that experience either, but I, I actually thought that there were times where, as the film progressed, you there's this very animalistic sort of nature to the two girls, especially Justine, um, or really both of them equally, where as the film goes, they become sort of more and more animalistic in their behavior to where at some point they're both like on all fours, like trying to bite and thrash at each other while someone's holding the back of their shirt like a leash. Mm. And as they're sort of descending down further and further into this sort of animalism as the film progresses, which I, which I found very interesting because other animals eat other animals every day. Um, it's only humans that we think that we're, you know, we're, oh, we're not animals. We're, we're, we're a higher form. We're, we're better when many humans do eat flesh every day. So I thought that was an interesting sort of an interesting take on this sort of animalistic nature. Can I go on two very quick rants? Yep. Uh, so one, what school lets students act like this, where you can destroy property, throw mattresses out the window, and have them just piled up there for a few days and? ruin your lab coats which you're issued by the school with blood and you know have paint parties and what's what school is this are are there no ras i don't know what you what you call them but like uh, residential assistants like people who live in the dorms to sort of like be your monitors like 
Are, are, is there none of that? I, I just, I don't understand the... I would say that this is just a regular school that you go to, or university. Kind of like the school that, or university that Henrik has gone to. Because apparently it's so part of the culture that you have to dress in asshole clothing every once in a while. And have asshole hats every once in a while. And I would uh, say it's a, it's a basically a depiction of American threat culture. Or at least an idea of American French culture through French lens. There definitely is a a, a bit of that sort of frat cult. I mean, I would when I think of American frat culture, I do think of uh, large, loud parties with a ton of people drinking, and probably some destruction of property. But those are usually happening at the frat house and not happening in the dorms. Whereas all these seem to be happening in the dorms and them sneaking into the, like the labs in the middle of the night. And uh, that, that seemed a little far-fetched for me. I don't know. Uh, partly, yeah. Partly, yeah. Like, I, I too felt that the idea that the co- school would be okay with them smearing the lab coats with, with animal blood, that's stretching it too far. But all the rest of them are kind of, can be picked apart into individual things that I've seen in American movies, like teen comedies, that try to present an idea of rat culture. Like they're sneaking into to school premises and having, having some loud-ass parties somewhere and people demanding that you have to go to their lectures in, in a stress code. Those are all things that I've seen American movies claiming that happens in American threats. Yeah. Uh, one last very quick tangent, I promise. The roommate. The, the gay roommate. I appreciate that there was an attempt at some representation there. And I get that they needed to make him gay because you can't have male-female roommates... And because you didn't want his character to be perceived immediately as, oh, so this is going to be the love interest, so I wonder when they're going to do it. So I, I get the, the the need for to make him gay. I get that. Yeah, that. But then on the other hand, he, he is the kind of guy who can do nothing else than watch porn and jerk off. But he, he, the, there's very, he, there's nothing to his his to his personality or his behavior very much that that is gay uh it's like you would we just have to make him gay just for this purpose but like he's out there playing basketball with his shirt off with his boys and he's spitting and having sex with girls up <laughs> um the only gay thing we really see him do is uh watch porn which that porn really could have been anything and receive oral sex which is you know, probably the least gay thing that it, that you can do. I mean, there's a well, you know, speaking of the of the frat culture in America, there's a lot of straight guys out there in frats getting blowjobs from from other guys, and they would consider themselves straight because they're really just getting a blowjob. Um, yeah. So I a little bit call bullshit on like the gay roommate. Yeah, well, I I just saw him as a gay as as, as a gay person and and kind of as a bonus that he would have this kind of a sexual freedom going on that, okay, whatever, it's my roommate, let's have let's have some fun. I'm all for it. And to do voice out something that I appreciate, I did appreciate 
Not all the time, but I did appreciate a fair amount of cinematography in the film, and I did appreciate the proper amount of of your French edge that you just got with this movie, like 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 that that pop song which has lyrics like "fuck me '69, give me '666," and and when they are playing the video game and and the sister starts to the older sister starts to yell, "kill yourself, kill yourself," I'm looking like, yeah yeah that's that's some proper edge. Now now we are reaching the edge film. Good job, good fucking job. <laughs> Would it be a French movie without it? Okay, ready for quickies? Uh, should we still yammer about? Go ahead if you have time. Cannibalism in in Kuneral. Like, does Zach still have his? his no, I was. Questions? I sort of hit my points. I sort of hit my points uh, earlier, but I, I frame it to you, Henrik. Henrik, is cannibalism the ultimate taboo? Uh, to partly, yeah, perhaps. But once again, I do maintain that cannibalism is, in my opinion, it's a Western taboo. Like, uh, China kinda okayed it as a country back in, once again, to the imperial days, when the emperor was allowed societally just, you know, order pieces of human on on a menu like when 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 your leader does that it's it kind of means that it's okay in this country uh Papua New Guinea was eating human flesh to my understanding yeah. as late as 1980s Maoris in in New, New Zealand ate the hearts of their captives in in one point of time uh, that's been dropped obviously these days but that was part of the culture. Um, uh, as far as I know, there's still cannibalism amongst the tribes, at least occasionally, in Papua New Guinea. Uh, some of them do have... I don't know about the last taboo, though. Cannibalism, yeah, of course it's a taboo. It uh, comes kind of naturally for us. But apparently isn't really built into the species. I don't know if it's built into the species, but it is something that we have kind of carried with us culturally-wise. Like, like for example, in, in Fiji, the people doing cannibalism didn't talk about eating people. They talk about eating the long peak. And that was kind of a, a linguistic roundabout, that they were able to talk about eating a human being without saying a human being. And that kind of, kind of show, at least to me, it, it reads like that there is there's a cultural incentive to, to eat eat people while as at the same time there's some type of sense that perhaps we shouldn't do that so we kind of we, we reframe it we rebrand it as eating the long peak mm. in the olden times uh cannibalism was one of the easy ways to well just work as a propaganda as, against the in, indigenous people uh, and paint them in the bad light just so that you can kind of justify your act- actions against those people. Like, we all have heard the stories about the Mesoamerican Aztecs, and even though they burnt the hearts and they chopped up the bodies and ate them with this chili tomato pasta, mm. it 
it still was it it's not like even though that did happen it didn't happen like we westerners often portray it where it's like a screaming victim who is forcibly being like just killed out of cruelty apparently the aztecs actually treated their sacrifices quite well before you know the actual sacrificial moment and in the ritual where yeah the heart was being carved out and burned they saw it as a as a transcendence into something greater they believed that the, the sacrifices through the act of sacrifice they became the living images of the aztec god of war and after the ritual their spirits were kind of believed to to rise to the heavens to be with god and with that you actually have some overlap with for example christian traditions and you also have like the the christian rites like the holy communion where you eat the christ's body and blood and also you know to want to go a little bit longer with the whole propaganda aspect columbus when he reached the new world columbus would have started with with a friendly approach tried to look for the gold and once the gold didn't appear they didn't find it they they realized that the best thing that they can bring back from this new world is slaves and that would be the point after which columbus just decides to change the narrative and you know report them as as cannibals because now you can enslave them so the whole idea of cannibalism and its place as a taboo in in society at least for westerners that is something that has been systematically being weaponized against the natives also in in western world cannibalism like like historically has happened quite often like certainly it has been a taboo for us quite some times it apparently it was a taboo already back with homer and the greeks and it most definitely was taboo in in shakespeare days as is obvious from from his play the titus andromedus where there's the, the point of showing contempt against your enemy through the act of cannibalism the, and the whole play goes into very Hannibal Lecter-esque territory we have had like cannibalism as a punishment for example in in the 6th sixth, 6th sixth century BC by by Herodotus who made one of his generals eat his son as a punishment for that general not killing uh what was what was the future king's name Cyrus Cyrus but there also is like well cannibalism as a historically cannibalism as a survival mechanism like it was apparently for example 1609 to 1610 in with the Jamestown settlers who ate at yep. least one settler I'm a big fan of any time we can reference Titus Andromedus in a podcast so bully for you we can even watch the film with anthony hopkins with hannibal lecter himself oh yeah like think how how amazing that is it's not really that amazing but well if we continue in in this vein i think next week um, zach is gonna be transformed fully to veganism and me and henrik or at least me might be indisposed from this podcast
well, I I make actually no promises about that, since as a as a Finn, I have historical backing behind, you know, also with my capabilities to to act like a cannibal. We we have some, I mean, even even Finns have some famous famous cannibal killings in in its history. <clears throat> Ten fingers on the fender, buddy. <laughs> but 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 the real question is: Would you be really ready to eat another being, like like human, <laughs> another man, to to prove that you are man? No, because that's or not would the definition that be too of far? Man. Yeah. Well, it is to Russians, or at least to a Russian, like Alexander Pichkovin, who who became famous. Uh, Pichkovin originally was, was arrested. This happened in 2002, so fairly recent one. And Pichkovin admits that, yeah, he cut off the hearts and the livers and ate them. And yeah. then they are like, like what, what, what the dick, dude? Why? His girlfriend had left him, claiming that he was a pussy and not a wolf. So Pritchkovin just decided to prove the bitch wrong. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You you wouldn't be willing to, to eat a human being to, to prove others that you are a man. But would you be willing to, to eat human being to sustain yourself? Sure. No problem. Sure. It's uh, do or die. Yeah. Because that that's also something that 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 on the other hand did happen also in Finland. Are you willing to kill someone? No. Well, uh, interesting question. Maybe for another another day. <laughs> <laughs> I I promise you I I can, I can talk to you talk to you about cannibalism. So you know. Well, it's a survival of the fittest. I leave it at that. Quickies, because with, with those people we do have, <laughs> you do have cases, killing for the pleasure of it, Zach, eating human beings. Henrik, Henrik, uh, I think Zach is really gonna be indisposed next week if we don't go to the quickies now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but this was a fairly recent. It happened only in two thousand two, and the killers are actually these days once again free to roam again with with civilization. Okay, They're free from prison. Okay. Think about that, Carl. Well, think about this, yeah, housing cannibals, cannibals it, in Finland. Cool, man. But how about this? Would you eat or kill people to sustain yourself? And the silence um. entered the room. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a it's a good question. Uh, perhaps, perhaps. No, never been twisted in in that sense. But you know, starvation is is quite the force. It it can drive you. Absolutely. To to quite. Yeah, there are, there are those. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure, like me, you have read about the stories when when the hunger takes over, you lose all your kind of sensible thinking, and it's just a survival mode. You do not care about the like the parents dying around you. You don't have energy for that. You don't barely understand what the hell is going on. But the survival mode kicks in. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I don't think anyone can really know what they would do until they're in those moments, because those moments are so extreme that it's hard to really put your head there. But I think if it came down to it, I, I don't, I, I'd, I'd like to think that I would never kill another person just so I could eat them. 
but yeah, like, you know, plane crash in the mountains and some of the passengers died in the crash and were not going to be found for weeks. Like, yeah, I probably would end up eating a person probably. I I don't think it would be easy to do it. And I would probably still be very difficult, even though I know it's the difference between dying of starvation and survival. Come on, it's just pork. (laughs) <laughs> it's just just gnaw on that rib get a little barbecue sauce from the plane and go for it well actually actually zach i can i can i can give you a small story relating to that this just so that we are absolutely open about about the dark side of finnish history like uh 1695 to, to 1697 we we had the the time period of of uh, finland was hit by mass starvation and during that time there was the the margareta pertulin tytär case where margareta murdered her six-year-old daughter by smashing her head in with an iron rod and three days earlier Margareta's eldest son, Karle, had murdered his seven-year-old brother. The bodies got hacked into pieces and were cooked in, in the family oven. The exact n- number of, of victims it has never been clear. But in, in total, during those years, like 28% of, of the entire population of Finland died. D- this being Finland... Today we actually carry those 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 dead amongst us in form of suvivirsi, which is a traditional psalm sang by little children in Finland oh, in the coming beautiful. of summer. Yeah, it's that type Oof. of culture. I I didn't even get into any of the meaty stuff yet. <laughs> okay, okay, guys. Special mention for an actor goes to. Uh, I think I'm going to give it to the girl who plays Justine in Raw, uh, Garance Mnier. Uh I thought she was really excellent. And for her being, I think she was 16, 17 at the time, really, really well done. I'm going to give it to Dominique Pinon, who played Louison in Delicatessen. Most likely butchered that name also completely. Dominique Pinon. I'm going to go with Dumplings and the actor Bai Ling or Ling Bai playing Mei, the cook. Was there any very small role in the film that you found somehow worth highlighting in the films? Not really, not for me. Uh, I, I sort of enjoyed, I, didn't, I should have looked her name up, uh, in Delicatessen, the woman who keeps trying to kill herself and it keeps getting foiled just because it was so outlandish and ridiculous. I don't know. I I, I give it to the to the swinging body parts of Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> Marvelous performance. And they did a good job. Can I give it to a turtle in Cannibal Holocaust? <laughs> I'm not you, so I can't decide on behalf of you. <laughs> it's your burden. What resonated with you the most in this film? The grotesqueness is the thing that really hit me. Is that Henrik eating some human body parts there? I, I confess to nothing. Uh, to me, it was the kind of different approaches or, or the different sides that the, each film tied 
into the cannibalism. Like uh, like I mentioned in in dumpling, it's cannibalism is for vanity, and in delicatessen, it's cannibalism is for convenience. Well, I found the the human dumplings kind of a delicious looking, and I I kept wondering what they are made of, if not human fetuses. So it probably was pretty good. This podcast is weird. <laughs> In what adjective, how would you describe these films? Visceral. God damn, I almost used that one. Appetizing. Appropriuming? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Favorite quote? You taste like curry. What? (laughs) I I said, you taste like curry. I'm not going to listen to this episode again. (laughs) 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 So weird vibes. (laughs) There's a couple of pretty good quotes. I will go for one with Cannibal Holocaust, where the guy says the as cliche as possible line. I know what you're going to say. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's only one thing that scares me, and that's marriage. <laughs> oh, not what I thought you were going to say. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the last line of the film when he's walking out of the building, which is so oh, yeah. hammed up and cliche. It's, it, was, uh, it, was, it was more, no, it wasn't more. It was as barf-inducing as, you know, the cannibalism in the film. Pretty much. Uh, from dumplings, I like the We must all face our fates. Our fates are all different, so we must treasure our time and live well. Amen to that. In Raw, I kind of enjoyed the moment of Wanna have a fag? Said by a <coughs> Oh, I thought he said Do you wanna do you wanna drag? Was it? I saw fag. Maybe it's I just... think <laughs> he he does use the F word at another at another place. But I think, yeah, when he offers her the cigarette, I think he says, do you want to drag? Okay. Well, the movie certainly did drag. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe she, he was asking, do you want to do drag? <laughs> you know, they could put on a little drag show. Because I think the dorm would probably be into it because they're into a lot of shit. So why not throw a drag show in there? All right. Do you think these films will have any staying power legacy? Well, Cannibal Holocaust for obvious reasons, sadly. Mm, dumplings, no. Raw, no. Delicatessen, yes, because it's an artsy French film. I think I, I would say yes, yes to to Holocaust, to Delicatessen. Raw most likely will have in once again obnoxious film podcaster circles. Like most likely, it's gonna be a film club film. Uh, dumplings, <laughs> no. I'd say Cannibal Holocaust, yes, just because of its its history. I would say no to Delicatessen, because I think um, if you want to watch something that's sort of similar, you could just watch Sweeney Todd. I would say Dumplings, mm, perhaps just because the idea of eating aborted fetuses is so sh- different and shocking that like it's going to come up again at some point and people will refer back to this film. And Raw, I think only because it comes from a female director's perspective. And that director, Julia Ducourneau, I think is... I mean, she did really well at Cannes 
when Raw came out. And her new film that comes out next month, uh, Titan, is already, has already won the Palm d'Or at Cannes. So I think she, she's on the way up. Would you recommend these films? I mean, if you really, really want to watch <laughs> a film with cannibalism, I mean, sure. But it's like, uh, oh my god, oh, you're staying in on Friday night? You're going to order in Chinese food? Okay, <laughs> well, I've got the great, perfect movie for you to watch. No. Yeah, no. Cannibal Holocaust, no. And that is not only because of the animal torture. If you look at the story qualities, it's just, uh, you know... It's just not a good film. It's it's just not a good film. It's a schlock horror film that rides on the on the violence and has some yeah. fisted, you know, points about oh well, who are the real cannibals? Moral questions of that sort. So no, and um, delicatessen. No, I've kind of voiced out why previously, but if you still want me to kind of go on with that. Didn't like the visual style, didn't like the way of storytelling it in, it in uh, disconnected parts, didn't like the characters, didn't like the humor, don't like this this director from what I've seen so far. So yeah, uh, next one. Dumplings. This was the best out of the bunch here for me. Uh, well, or, or raw, but Dumplings, yeah, it has maybe the most story to, to tell. Well, raw is still doing that as well. It's, it's you know... It's not bad. It's a pretty good horror movie. Dumplings, I think it raises interesting questions about still the way that China is approaching uh, and these ancient beliefs related to fetuses and maybe you can pull off something about the one-child policy around it. I those kind of, And of course, you know, the vanity. But ultimately it dragged on too much. And I thought even the, the shorter, shorter version tracked on a little bit too much. It's, it has an interesting story, but I think it could have been told in 15 minutes. So, sorry, I, I, I wouldn't recommend anyone to go through that one and a half hours of dumplings. So, no. Um, raw, no. I'll just give some airtime for you. I'm done. Well, on, on my end, um, Cannibal Holocaust is... Yes... You heartless brute. (laughs) Um, As a a film, is it a masterpiece? No, but it is surprisingly effective, even with its lackluster core effects. Of course, it uses the age-old, like, well, the the, the now age-old, but the found footage shoot formula, that found footage films love to use when they they shoot violence which is close up to something violent close up to a face close up to a different face close up to something violent and this is like for example how the the leg amputation scene plays out but i still did find that surprisingly effective overall i did find the film surprisingly effective uh, if the animal cruelty really is a deal breaker to you, well then, of course not. But again, well, you are gonna end up with a lot of lists that, at least with a lot of films that you are not gonna watch in that case. And well, it wasn't deal breaker for me that strongly. Um, I did find that the film actually had surprisingly a lot to say. The end line, are we the real cannibal, cannibals, is 
hokey and cliche as all fuck and cheesy as hell, but the film really does ask that. It asks, in my opinion, the question of what exactly is quote-unquote civilized society's place in quote-unquote wild territories. Like, it, it's not a masterpiece, it's not a hearty film, but I do feel that that it is actually surprisingly good, especially in its own subcategory, which is the cannibal explo- exploitation films. Uh, most likely, I will revisit the film later whenever I have the urge to watch a few cannibal exploitation movies, like with, with Man from Deep River and some others. Uh, Cannibal Holocaust most likely will be on the list of possible films I will check out. Delicatessen, yeah, uh, heartfelt recommendation from my end. Really enjoy it, really joyful, really like the visuals, like the style. Overall, I do like the director's films, so <laughs> by all means, in my opinion, go, go and check out Delicatessen. I don't understand what, what was everybody else's problem with the movie. I told um, you, man. I, I, I guess it's your turn, you know, to, to get the messages that you will be punching your fucking face. Uh, <clears throat> dumplings? Oh, fuck, no. Absolutely no. Like, the, it has like 15 minutes of story. Originally stretched into a half an hour short, and now yeah. that half an hour short is stretched forcibly into, into an hour and a half feature and it still doesn't really ask in my opinion any of that many that deep questions it mentions one child policy but really nothing comes from it the only main question is would you eat a fetus in order to look young and well when you center that question around female characters well that be problematic saying, but yeah, no, 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 no. I originally forgot to like like the the original short film version like two weeks after I saw it in Three Extremes collection. I will forget the fucking feature of length film in like two days if I haven't already forgotten it. Uh, raw. Just just, not... be, just before that. I... I think it should be said out loud that that actors, actresses in definitely the actresses in Asia, they have huge external pressures to look super beautiful as long as possible. So yeah, it it could be a very realistic situation. In, yeah, can be also at at least some, on some level applies to Hollywood, where also. The external pressures are put heavily on the on the female actors. I would say it's all in all film, unfortunately. Yeah. But still, no. No for me for Dumplings. Uh, Raw is a better film than Dumplings, but it's, it's also one of the films that when it came out, every horror critic was like, praising it from, from ground to the heavens. And... When I originally saw it, I didn't understand what all the fuss is about. This is my second time seeing it. I really don't still see what all that fuss was about. It has some good cinematography. I didn't have the problems with the storytelling that Curry had. But at the same time, I don't think 
that it is somehow like crucial film for you to see. If if it comes up like Netflix, perhaps like if you need to kill hour and a half, perhaps then you can check it out raw. But I'm not giving it really a recommendation, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, Zach. <sighs> no, I would say similar to. You know, do I think that these are? Uh, Films that I would watch again. I, I mean, I no. I would say *Cannibal Holocaust* is a hard no, and *Delicatessen's* a no. I, th- I think I think they're all no's unless unless you're just really into this thing. If you if you've got a hard on for this shit, then yeah, sure. But other than that, generally no. And um, which order would you put this in? I would go with well, okay, let's say *Bro* and *Dumplings* and ooh. Delicatessen and Cannibal Holocaust. Same. Mm, to me, it's it's Delicatessen because it's hands down the best film we have today. Then Holocaust, then Raw, and Dumplings would be the fourth place. You really know you're watching these cannibalistic films. When? When you're reconsidering your stance on vegetarianism. When you start to look at the 1400s torture manuals as cooking books. When you start to feel the carnal pleasures kicking and you just question your your humanity. Well, I guess that's that for this evening. Hmm. Easy topics. Very lightweight. Any thoughts before we head to the outro? And do you want to hear that's funny things about cannibalism? I think we had a fair share of those. <laughs> we would like to invite you to continue this conversation with us online on our socialistic media pages. Uh, We'll hope you leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Would be much appreciated. All right, that's the show. Thank you for salivating with us. See you in a fortnight. Until then. Later. Later.